I'm sorry. Don't ever be sorry. Forms right now. Not here. Right now. All yours. Hello and welcome to the Pop Optic Walking Dead podcast. This week we're talking about season six, episode four, Here's Not Here, written by Scott M. Gimple and directed by Stephen Williams. We'll be right back after this. Pop Optic Walking Dead podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, TV editor of popoptic.com, and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co host, our editor in chief, co creator, all of that good stuff, Mr. Ricky D. Ricky, how's it going? Hey, Kate, I'm good, and I just have to say something really quick before I forget. Next year, Halloween's on Sunday. So Ooh. if The Walking Dead is ever to do a Halloween episode, it has to be next year. And I figure they can have Glenn go out in search of supplies with Carl and stumble upon a Halloween shop and come back to Alexandria with some Halloween costumes. And yes, I said Glenn. Yeah. Well, we will talk about that a little bit here at the top. But first, let me introduce our guest from the AV Club and Debating Doctor Who, the delightful podcast that has been kind enough to have me on a few times. And I, somehow I haven't alienated myself because you're here to join us today. And that's it's Caroline Sita. Caroline, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. Now, uh, before we... We're going to get in to this episode very quickly and before we even get into that we're going to talk a little bit more about glenn um but before all of that we wanted to make sure to remember to mention at the top of the podcast a couple things first of all uh ricky pop optic is currently doing a fundraiser uh to to help support the site and the podcast at the site because there's a lot of them and they're expensive uh so can you give us some information about the fundraiser that's going on uh, we can find all the information on our website, popoptic.com. We're using Indiegogo. We're uh, basically trying to reach $5,000, which I think might seem like a lot, but the idea is that the $5,000 basically secures the website for the next two years. So we basically pay our monthly bill ahead. 
Um, so it makes everyone just a little bit more relaxed on the website. We don't have to stress out every single week because we don't know if we're going to be able to pay the bills. And it allows us to keep producing our podcast because we have several podcasts, including your podcast, The Televerse, my movie podcast, Walking Dead, Game of Thrones. And uh, we have to get as close to the goal as possible in order to keep all the podcasts on the website. I've looked at various options. I've discussed it with many people. Apparently, we have, like, the best deal, <laughs> despite the fact that it's still expensive. So people are like, you're crazy if you're going to leave this company. But it's still expensive because it's not like it was, like, seven years ago. Like, our bandwidth has increased. Our disk space is huge. Yeah. So if you like listening to our podcast, please consider donating. <clears throat> Sorry, please consider donating because, um, yeah, it's it's necessary. And uh, there are a few perks that we are, are giving out at certain donation levels that are of interest to our listeners. We had some, you could sponsor DVD shelf on the Televerse podcast, except those are all gone. So thank you if any of those listeners are also listening to the Walking Dead podcast. But you can donate at a certain level to co-host the Walking Dead podcast with us, uh, to co-host Game of Thrones. We've already had one, uh, one person snap up one of those. There's one of those left as well. So there are podcast-specific things where you can help us uh you can pick content for us to review or or get a ad at the website there's various other things we're not big on asking for money but we are comfortable uh ex we are comfortable with uh, providing content that you guys uh are curious about and interested in so you can check all that out at popoptic.com p-o-p-o-p-t-i-q.com uh, as well as uh, at indiegogo but with that out of the way, and again, another big, big thank you, because I know some of our listeners who do listen to the Walking Dead podcast every week have specifically donated, and thank you so much to you guys out there. Uh, every little bit does very much help. Um, but we need to get into some Walking Dead talk here, because I want to start out with, first with Caroline, because, of course, Rick and I, Ricky and I talked about this last week. Um, Caroline, there's all been this big drama in the fan community about Glenn, and what happened at the end of the previous episode. How able were you to put that aside for this episode, which is all Morgan all the time. There's no Glenn. There's nothing else. Did that, were you able to set that aside or did that just inevitably affect your viewing of this episode? I was actually surprised by how easily I could set it aside. I think that um, the Glenn stuff, in my opinion, was all like pretty poorly handled within the episode, within how they're talking about the episode. And I think within this choice to, my guess is actually not deal with it for a couple more episodes. I don't know, but I, my guess is we're not even going to get confirmation next week. Um, all of that I think was bad choices, but I was able to set it aside. I knew we were getting a Morgan centric episode. I kind of made my peace with the idea that we aren't going to know for a while. So yeah, actually surprisingly that was not weighing a lot on my mind tonight as I know it was for a lot of people. I completely understand the people for whom it it mm -hmm. did very much affect uh, or diminish this episode. For me, it's hard for me to think of a way that they can gracefully get out of the situation they've written themselves into a corner with, with Glenn. Um, so I kind of was very okay. Just not like, well, whatever they eventually are going to tell us probably isn't going to work one way or the other. It's just going to make me more annoyed. So actually, I was similar to you, uh, Caroline. I was able to really set that aside. Uh, Ricky, how, how did it go for you? 
Okay, I have to ask you ladies a question. Is it really the fault of the TV show and or the internet? Like if this had happened on a TV show, say 10, 15, 20 years ago, would it affect viewers as much as it does now with the internet? Because as soon as the episode finished airing, it was like everyone took the internet and there was speculation and there was like set photos and whatnot. Like, I mean, this is the first and only time I think The Walking Dead has done this, right? Like every single time we've seen a major character die, they're dead. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, there have been a couple other times. I remember there was a time where it was unclear if baby Judith was dead. There have been other times where, where there's been, like, a lingering mystery, but nothing I don't think ever as, like, intense as this Glenn thing has been. Well, and, right. it's, and it's specifically not even just that. It's because of Talking Dead. That is why this is an issue. Mm -hmm. well, it's because of Talking Dead. It's also because, you know, we return a week later and we don't see Glenn, but we also do not see Rick Grimes and or Alexandra. It's basically an episode that takes place in the past. And the problem is that Stephen Young's name is not credited in the episode. They've removed his name from the credits. So the thing is, it's like when I went into this episode, I myself the, like I wasn't thinking about Glenn. Like my my bigger question is what happened with Rick Grimes and and his hand. And I I, I think basically he's he just stabbed himself, and that's all there is to it, right? Um, I I think this episode works because we have two terrific actors at the center of the episode. In fact, the whole entire episode revolves around these two actors, and I love the episodes in which we focus on. A small cast in this case we have two people it's fantastic i mean you got two great character actors basically just working their magic and it's sort of like a sequel to i think my second favorite episode clear i think clear is still the second best episode the walking dead's ever done apart from the pilot right yeah and so i totally enjoyed this episode i do have some issues with morgan which we'll discuss in the next 45 minutes um, but I just, I honestly do not care if Glenn's dead or alive at this point in time. Because you're right, Kate, there is nothing they can do satisfying each and every single one of the Walking Dead fans. Like, half the people will hate whatever decision they make if Glenn's dead and or not dead. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it was, it was really, it was the execution. It's the way it was handled. And again, it's because when Glenn supposedly dies, they hold the shot on him for so long. And you have that score like the music and it's so emotional so like devastating and and we we don't need it on the walking dead because the show's already dire and bleak you know what i mean so we'll see what happens but um yeah i i just i kind of i i, I think you're right though i think the talking dead the internet and the execution just kind of ruined it for the walking dead and the fact that it's based on a comic book and he you know yeah, but they've changed, they've altered things from, or, or gone a different path than the comics before. Because for me, it really does all come down to the the Talking Dead and, and the show trying to be clever and there being such a connection between those two. Also, I would I would also point to the, the ridiculous number of interviews that were going around last week talking with, uh, I think it was Gimple, and some of the people involved with the show and saying nothing. If, if you're not going to say anything, that's fine, but then don't. Don't do an interview. Um, right. So, but but at, at this point, I'm actually almost almost more frustrated with um, discussion of what they could do or or judgments on. There's nothing that they can possibly do. This is going to ruin the show because we, until we actually see what they're going to do with Glenn um, and with the the arc moving forward, I guess from from where we left Glenn or where we left the various plot threads. 
I'm kind of ready to not talk about it ever again. <laughs> um, I don't know what you guys think about that, Caroline. Well, so watching this, if I had just watched the show in a vacuum, right, and I had no internet, no talking dead, I would have watched last week's episode. I assumed Glenn was dead. I thought the death was pretty poorly handled because we didn't really, as an audience, didn't get time to mourn. And I think watching this episode, I would have thought the same thing. Like, good episode. I wish we had more time to mourn Glenn. However, watching The Talking Dead, I got the sense that from the episode, I was supposed to be asking, is Glenn dead? Which was not what I got from the episode. And then putting all of that together and just using my own little Sherlock Holmes detective skills, I, at this point, am like pretty convinced Glenn's alive. So maybe that's also sort of taking the stakes off it for me because I perhaps foolishly in my head have just come up with this theory that I've decided is now correct. So I feel somewhat low stakes about it. Um, but I could be proved, I could turn out to be totally wrong uh, at the end of the season. We'll just have to see. Here's the thing. If last week's episode ended with Nicholas falling down, and even if Glenn fell with Nicholas, yeah. but they didn't hold a shot on Glenn screaming in pain and agony in slow motion with that overwhelming score and, and getting like the way it was framed, like clearly it's not his guts because the guy would not be awake you know what I mean he would pass out if a, if a zombie was digging into his like stomach like that so clearly the zombies are eating Nicholas but still it's the way it was executed they could have just had him fall down and thematically it would have worked wonderfully because basically uh, Nicholas is dragging Glenn down like we discussed last week but it's it's amazing how about 20 seconds of screen time can ruin a whole entire episode and the creators of The Walking Dead should be fully aware of what this will do. And the thing is, there's nothing they can do at this point in time because they can't go back in time to change the end ending of the episode. And so for the past, not just week, two weeks at this point, maybe even longer, we aren't going to know if he's dead and or alive. But it doesn't matter because it ruined the impact of the ending of last week's episode. So there's nothing they can do at this point in time. But let's talk about why this episode is kind of really good. Um, yeah. I think it's actually kind of fantastic. Yeah, I think it's I I think it's mostly very very good. Um, for me, it's a little too long. There are a couple spots where I was writing in my notes. Okay, let's can we can we montage? Because uh, even Rocky had a montage. Uh, and there were, there are were a few training moments that I could have soon you know trimmed down a little bit. So I, I don't know if it earned its full ninety minutes. But for the most part, as far as these extended episodes go, I thought it really. Uh, did play very well. It, was, it handled most of its extra running time very well. And like you said, Ricky, uh, Lenny James and, uh, and John Carroll Lynch, fantastic. When this, my first note, when I was watching this, the first thing I wrote down, Lenny James direct to camera with that score underneath is going to work every time. <laughs> so glad to get such a, a spotlight for, for Lenny James this week. What'd you think, Caroline? What was your, what was your immediate reaction? So I think I'm a little similar to you. I thought this was a really good, maybe even great episode, but to me, it doesn't get elevated up to those upper echelons like Clear is, like the pilot is. I would even put that episode where Daryl and Carol sort of go into the city. Uh, they kind of have like almost a little solo adventure. That episode, I think, would go above this one for me. Like, I, I love what this episode is trying to do. I'm a big fan of these sort of one-off character explorations. I think there's just a couple things about it that are weaker for me than those other episodes I mentioned. So really, really good, great performances, lots of cool themes and sort of existential exploration, but maybe not one of the best ever Walking Dead episodes for me. 
Hmm. I see. I like the reveals, and although you can kind of see them coming a mile away, I like the way it was structured and scripted and played out. Like for example, you knew the goat was going to die, and the whole entire episode, I'm, I'm like, I know, I'm gripping onto my seat. I'm like, oh my god, the goat is so cute. Don't kill the goat. But I know, <laughs> I know the goat's going to die because we're watching The Walking Dead, right? But even like the fact that we don't see Eastman actually die on screen, mm-hmm. I thought I thought that was great. I mean, we just get to see his name on the cross. That was perfect. Um, so the little reveals, I thought that was great. I love the callbacks to previous episodes. Like, for example, the callback to the episode Clear, because there's actually one specific scene which takes place back when he was at the, I forget where he was. Was it Atlanta? I'm always confused with the geography here. I think it's but wherever it, Rick is from, like the small town just outside of Atlanta. Yeah, so it was basically Morgan's shelter when he, when he, um, he runs into like Michelle and Carl and Rick. And then there's the callback to, of course, when Morgan fought, finds the, uh, the sign, which leads them to Terminus. Oh God, let's forget about Terminus for a second. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I like the way it was structured. I like the pleasant callbacks. I just have a hard time buying into Morgan's character because the, the here's the thing. The one thing I do not like about the way they write his character. And I don't think even, the actor can save this specific dialogue that, that he's given because it just doesn't work. Like when he keeps repeatedly screaming to kill him, to kill him, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. Like here's the guy that goes out and kills everyone in front of him. He'll kill a goat. He'll kill an innocent boy. He'll kill a zombie. He'll kill everybody. It's one thing to kill someone with a weapon, be it a spear and or a bullet, you know, like using a gun, right? But to actually strangle someone with your two hands, you have to actually want to kill someone because it's your own two hands. It's like it's it's easier with a bullet because you're not actually like, yeah, you, you shoot the gun, but it's the bullet that's that's actually killing the person but with your own two hands. So they show this the scene of him strangling this young boy with his own two hands. I'm like, OK, that doesn't make sense. Like, I get the fact that Morgan is off the rails and he's crazy and he's lost it. But to me, there's like a huge difference between self-preservation and just straight up cold-blooded murder. And so that's that scene did not work for me. And and the fact that he's screaming, kill me, kill me. And he also, I think, was screaming the exact same words back in clear. Like he doesn't seem like suicidal because if he's so suicidal, if he's in such a dark place, why hasn't he killed himself? Because if he believes he has nothing to live for, then why hasn't he killed himself? So I'm a little conflicted with how I feel about how they're writing this character because it seems like it contradicts the character like scene by scene if that makes any sense it, there's a very big difference between having a death wish and necessarily being su- suicidal where you're the, acknowledging that you want to die enough that you're going to you know like character like like this he would would consider actually killing himself and putting himself in a dangerous situation over and over and over again with some part of him hoping that he doesn't make it back. So when he's going and killing every every walker he can find, part of that is his this philosophy of clear, but part of it is also just because he wants to die and he's going to take out as many people as he can until somebody finally kills him. So I was okay with that, but I will agree that um, this seemed like a bit of a leap between what where we had picked up with him in clear and then because we're filling in the gaps is the whole point but mm-hmm. from that to he's killing every person he sees regardless that felt like a bit of a retcon uh because they wanted to contrast his philosophy now of, of kill no one by showing that he was killing anybody he saw regardless of of 
if they were a threat. Uh, Caroline, was that did that feel like a leap for you, or did that feel more organic? No, actually, I was. I'm surprised to hear you guys say that because that, to me, the moment where he stabs the the one guy through the throat was to me the best moment in this episode and one of the best like moments in Walking Dead history to me actually because we get so much conversation on this show about people going off the rails and have they lost their humanity and what lengths will Rick go to to do this and da 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 da. But when you look back, like all of our protagonists they've never really done anything unforgivable. There's always been a certain logic to their choices, even if they're horrific choices. And I actually, for one, like, I'm not a huge fan of all this debate about is Rick Grimes going off the rails? Because again, like, it, he's not just going out and murdering people. He's not a wolf. You know, there is, there's a clear distinction to me between what Rick is doing and what the wolves are doing. And in this episode, this places Morgan to me much closer, if not one of the wolves than he is to Rick. This, I think, is the first time we've ever seen a protagonist just straight up do something unforgivable and unjustifiable. There's no claims to self-defense. Like he just straight up murders two innocent people. And it was shocking in a way that I think the show is seldom shocking in, in getting me to try to like judge or condemn its protagonist. So I was, I was excited to see the show go there because I, I don't think it's, it's ever done this before. And I'm actually surprised that that moment hasn't sort of been getting more response from people. I think a lot of people just sort of like, I don't know. I just haven't seen on Twitter or anything people discussing it. But to me, I was I was excited to see them go there. I think clear was it was like vague enough that I kind of maybe believe Morgan was doing this during clear. So maybe that's why it feels less of a retcon for me, because he does try originally to kill uh, Carl and Michonne and Rick when they arrive. So so part of me does believe that maybe he was doing this. I'm clearing walkers and people back then. I agree that like there's an element of retcon there, but I think that the moment itself was so strong that I'm willing to set aside maybe the, the flaws of a retcon. You see, I agree and disagree. I think you're right. It's a ballsy move and it's interesting, but the problem is it comes after clear. If it came before clear, or actually it couldn't come before clear, but it's just, it just feels like it's too much of a leap. Like Kate says, like in clear, like, why wouldn't he kill Carl Michonne and Rick Grimes? Like he does these two poor innocent. But doesn't he try to at first and then they kind of yeah. take him down? Doesn't he ends up sharing chocolate bars with them at the end of the episode? Like, no, I mean, ah, it's just it's too hard for me to believe. I think we're supposed to infer from that sequence that's set after them when we're with the fire where we get the um, he his place burns down, um, that he has gone further into himself and basically lost it. Mm. from his isolation after they've gone so uh when he doesn't choose to go with them he ends up by himself more and more and then any progress he made with them in clear is lost and that's what puts him in the situation in, in the place where he's at to, to kill those two people and actually I, w I agree with you caroline i thought that was incredibly effective so while i was having a bit of a raised eyebrow too is, is this match what we had seen previously um the expression from lenny james as he's strangling that mm -hmm. other person it was incredibly effective incredibly um yeah it, that really worked to for this episode it was a very effective performance and moment um and i would also i mean we it's so easy with this episode specifically to talk about how great these two central performances are but i also really like the direction throughout the episode we get this recurring imagery of cages we get the recurring imagery of fire and morgan being shaped through fire we get um the effect uh that was kind of signaling his ptsd with the kind of shuddering visuals yeah. there were a lot of really really effective directorial choices by stephen williams well but you see just going back to morgan strangling the poor boy like 
The problem I have with the scene is I kind of feel like the writers put it in just so we can have the zombie return at the end of the episode. So and... that he can, yeah, I agree with that. That was too tidy. Right. I think because this episode, it's kind of trying to function as like a morality play. And that somehow makes it, I don't know, it doesn't feel realistic to the rest of the world that The Walking Dead is set up. There's something about it that's too simplistic. And that actually gets to sort of my bigger complaints about it. Like, it's like if you could just remove the walkers from a couple uh, scenes, like this could just be an episode of anything. Like, there's nothing in it that indicates you're really in a zombie apocalypse, except for like a couple stray walkers. Um, and I think that, like, I was then kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was waiting for this to be, this was all in Morgan's head. Cause the situation just seemed so unrealistic that you happen to stumble upon the one other person on the planet who has like the most beautiful cabin set up in the world where that, that has been had zero effect on the walkers, even though Rick and them can like not find two days to sit around somewhere without getting attacked. This guy has just been out of the woods forever. And he's also the one guy who has had his pro whole professional career has been rehabilitating people who have done violent acts, but maybe are worthy of saving. Like it all just seemed too perfect. And I thought either that it was going to be in Morgan's head, or I thought that Eastman was going to end up being the, uh, killer that he had described that somehow the killer had like switched places with him and i think the episode tried to have a twist with the reveal that eastman had actually killed this person who had killed his family had taken vengeance and that's how he set off on this uh non-violent path but that reveal was not big enough to me to justify how sort of unrealistic this episode felt and i think to some extent the the him strangling the guy and then the guy coming back at the end like that all fits within that really neat morality play that Again, like, just doesn't feel realistic. Like, at this point, Morgan would know to stab the guy in the head. Like, there's not a reason he wouldn't do that. And so, yeah, there's there's that heightened thing that kind of makes it work as an episode just on its own, but maybe doesn't make it work within the whole arc of The Walking Dead and the world we've kind of come to know and love. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because I do like the fact that he does place Morgan in a cage and he doesn't actually lock the door because... It's a callback to the conversation Morgan has with Rick when he says sometimes you're safer when there's no way out. And even though there was a way out, like he's locked in his cage, like trapped, not just physically, but mentally. You know what I mean? Like he's his own worst enemy. And that's the problem with Morgan. And that's a problem with a lot of characters on The Walking Dead when their philosophy and beliefs get in the way of survival. And that's the that's why it's so frustrating to watch a character like Morgan and to some extent the character like Tyrese and or Eastman because you want to respect them for their beliefs and values and the fact that like you know Eastman says that all life has a value and despite the fact that he won't kill someone when he technically should but again this is a completely different world like this is all about survival and my problem with Eastman's character is it's not it's not it's not actually a problem with his character but it's we only see this character in one episode and we get an amazing backstory for this character, but has he ever been in a situation like Michonne, like Rick Grimes? It all comes down to self-preservation. Like it's the most natural instinct for any human being and or animal, right? Like if you're put in a situation and it's do or die, like I'm pretty sure that even this guy would kill someone if he had to in order to, to survive. But we don't see him in that situation. Yeah, it's easy. Like I said 
you know, a couple episodes previous, uh, it's easy to have that philosophy when you're by yourself in an idyllic, gorgeous, like you said, Caroline, cabin with Tabitha and plenty of food and like first... Morgan needs to bring everybody back there. Like the fact that no Seriously. one's living there in this apocalypse is a, a shame. None of the windows are broken. Yeah, no, it's yeah. it's fabulous. It's but it's easy to have that philosophy when you aren't dealing with the cannibals at terminus and you aren't dealing with the governor and you haven't been tested in a larger community uh so having that this character this is kind of character that works really well for this one episode to explain where morgan's at but i, I kind of uh well i don't need whatever whatever they present I, we will talk about it so it's not me reviewing a different show or what i'd like the show to be but uh with, with th this philosophy we get from morgan if Morgan doesn't shift or doesn't grow or doesn't, into, you know, if, if you have a philosophy and then you refuse to let other experiences and what comes next in your life shape that or examine it beyond, besides that. So if, if all life has value and one person is holding a gun to another person's head and says, I will kill them if you don't kill me, then you are choosing by not killing that person. You are choosing. So this is the kind of philosophy that's again that's easy to have when you're in a cabin in the woods by yourself and nobody yeah. has come to try to take it away from you yeah you, you know who's got the best philosophy and the best view of life it's the goat because the goat's like chilling <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a, a helpless goat like it's just like it's been outside for god knows how many days it's she somehow, by the way she sorry she somehow survives a zombie apocalypse for what like at least a year i'm guessing like she's doing a or better more, job yeah. than most people right and she's actually enjoying her life I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> when when Tabitha was under duress and uh, Morgan didn't was like you could hear her bleeding and Morgan didn't immediately go. I was like, no, Morgan, you go save that goat. If you don't save that goat and that goat dies and it's your fault, I'm gonna be pissed off. I like that. I can you know deal with you let, letting some of the wolves go, but I can't deal with you not protecting Tabitha in this moment. <laughs> I think there's a couple things for me that sort of elevate Eastman and. It's, it is that idea, even though it wasn't quite the twist I wanted it to be, the idea that he did let someone die in like one of the most gruesome, horrific, cruel ways possible, just letting them starve to death over 47 days. That And even if he is nonviolent after that, that to me implies that like he is supposed to be a flawed mentor. This is not literally literally Yoda who has all the answers and we're supposed to just believe he's right. Like there is an element of we can sort of believe Eastman, but also see that he is flawed himself. And I think that there's a nice little moment at the end where Morgan does keep the wolf alive, but rather than keep the door open as Eastman did for him, he locks the door. And that to me at least implies that Morgan is not, he's not just following this, like this, like Eastman's teaching as the letter of the law. He's like, I'm going to learn from Eastman, both what his strengths and his weaknesses. I'm going to take in his flaws and then sort of create my own philosophy. So I think that helps it from feeling like, this no killing philosophy is really silly if we can see Eastman as kind of a flawed character. And I think what would make that even better and what I think is the weakest part of the episode is how Eastman dies, which is just like, I don't know, he survived in the zombie apocalypse for a couple years and just gets bitten by a random walker. Like that was so poor. I was like, are you, I literally said, are you kidding me at my TV? Cause it was so frustrating to me. And it would be a perfect moment for there to be some sort of irony or there to be that situation you guys are describing where where Eastman really does have to decide between is it is it worth killing someone else to save his own life or does he believe in that philosophy so much he's just gonna like let himself die? You see, it's interesting because the way I looked at it, Eastman got to die the way he chose to die. Like it was his own terms. Like yeah, he got bit by a zombie, but he knew that he was gonna get bit by a zombie by saving Morgan's but life. But couldn't he have just like I don't the situation was not 
set up in the way oh. that it, the options were either get bit or save Morgan. It seems like saving Morgan and not and also killing the walker could have very been easily done. Well, the, the, yeah, and I totally agree. Like that's the one scene in this episode it does not work. It doesn't work for various reasons. It doesn't work because it just so happens to be the very boy that he strangles at the beginning of the episode. It doesn't work because I'm sh- pretty sure, you know, the guy is like he's like a Jedi with with his little mm-hmm. like you know, like yeah. he Morgan couldn't take him out, but random walker yeah. can. Are <laughs> yeah, you kidding me exactly. with this? All yeah. you need to do is pull Morgan back. You don't need to step in front of him. Do they needed that whole thing could have played out if there was somehow they had just staged it in a way that it did feel like getting bit was the only option, but you having know, it in the open was silly. It's funny how a show like The Walking Dead, the biggest problem they have is killing their cast. Like not mm-hmm. killing the background actors or the extras or, you know, the actors who come in for like one episode, but their, their main cast. Like each and every single time they kill off one of their, their cast members, the execution is always questionable and at times sloppy. <laughs> It's like you would figure that a show called The Walking Dead, it wouldn't have this problem, but it does. It had the problem with Tyrese. It had the problem with God, Lori. It's, it's every time they kill, like when they kill their characters, I think they're too concerned about tricking the audience or, I don't know, generating some kind of like buzz for a week. Like, you know, did Lori die? Did Carl shoot Lori? Did the baby die at the end of, at the, end of the season? Did she not die? Uh, in this case, it's Glenn, like... Just well, kill off the character. The trouble is, uh, and this is the thing that, again, I go to my D&D place. Uh, they, they've leveled up these characters so much that mm-hmm. finding a way to believably have them killed off by, you know, the kind of monster you can kill when you're level two, a walker, uh, is not satisfying. So they they try to get clever about it. They try to make it be a surprise. But they need to instead find a way to nerf the characters or do, do something so that you can so that it, it doesn't feel like a cheat. And here they were more, much more interested in after establishing uh, that Eastman's a badass with his staff, they're much more interested in the, ah, but if Morgan hadn't killed the boy, you know, like <laughs> than they were in actually having it feel organic or feel um, something other than very contrived. But how many times have we seen it? How many times have we seen, like, I mean, it happened with Tyrese. Someone doesn't kill someone and or someone kills somebody and then that zombie comes back and or that person comes back and kills somebody. Yeah. And again, it goes to some of one of this recurring themes of the series and conversations. And it's one that we're seeing play out in a big way this season of uh, of mercy and living versus surviving. And that is one of the pet themes of the show. It's one of the pet discussions of the show, but it's also one of the things that so easily becomes a frustration for me because the show has an answer. And it uh, it keeps recycling the same argument. So they present mercy as a positive thing, but then not that long later, they they under undermine that by bringing that character back and having them do something horrible. So why don't can we just for once have somebody you know have Morgan let those wolves go and they go oh crap let's get out of here let's not kill anybody else let's just leave seriously <laughs> I don't that know. would be amazing yeah I will yeah. say even though I I didn't love. Obviously, I didn't love the like actual moment where Eastman gets bit. Everything else around the scene and through the end of the episode, I really did like and I thought was surprisingly powerful, actually, because I'd been a little bit so-so on the beginning. But I loved Morgan's response where he's so angry. And you kind of get the sense that he's angry at Eastman because Morgan wanted to die. And Morgan kind of thought in his head, it is just that this human that I killed now comes back as a walker and kills me. And and um, Eastman kind of robbed him of that poetic death. And then you can also tell he's like mad at Eastman for dying, that there's a sense of 
of Morgan didn't quite realize how important Eastman was to him until he got hurt. And it also shows that Morgan's like nonviolence is a journey. It's not just he flipped a switch and now he's nonviolent to see him sort of rail against him, to see him yell, kill me again. I thought was a powerful reminder that this is that he's like, there's many steps on this journey and he is not like all the way at the end yet. And I was surprised at how sort of emotional I got at the end that, that scene where Eastman is saying that he's ready to die and he has the gun prepared and, you know, that whole sort of ending of it, I thought was really well done. Like you mentioned before, Ricky, where we don't really see the death and we don't see the burial. We just sort of get the shot of the grave. I thought all of that was, was really powerful. So I'm, I'm willing to give the episode some slack on that, really frustrating zombie death moment, even uh, just because the rest of it around it was so powerful. Well, I think my favorite moment in this episode is we learn that his biggest tragedy happened before the zombie apocalypse, when the killer killed his wife, his daughter, and his son. And how many characters in this show can we say that the worst thing that happened to them happened before the zombie apocalypse? Zero. I mean, he's the only one. And I love how you know, little, little, little things like little decisions, like how he decides to bury the zombies. He still has mm-hmm. respect for these people and who they were because, you know, yeah, when we watch the show as viewers, we connect to characters who have speaking roles like Glenn or Tyrese and or Lori. But even the zombies, like those zombie extras running around, biting people, eating people, they used to be somebody. They used to be human beings before they, they turn into zombies. And I love how. He still respects this person, even though they're a zombie. He buries them, and he 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 has like his little cross, and he he looks at their driver's license so he can find out what their names are, and then you know like little touches like that. Like I don't think we've seen that in The Walking Dead previous. Like I think maybe to some degree with Tyrese, um, other than Herschel, of course. But yeah, I was thinking about Herschel too. But Herschel was different though. Herschel was keeping zombies in the barn because he thought there was a cure. Yeah. But and this is that's an element, like you said, Ricky, that this episode specifically draws into very effectively when they have the the walker with the wedding ring. And I thought that yeah. was such a fantastic touch to to again emphasize the former humanity of of that person of that walker, as well as of course con- contrasting with with um uh, with Morgan and his his wife and all this baggage he's carrying around. I I, I like that they for the most part, didn't hammer that home. They didn't have Morgan wearing a wedding ring around his neck. And like, but I, I liked that they, that they did incorporate that, not just with Eastman, but also with Morgan. And before I forget, I wanted to mention this earlier because part of what is so effective about, um, about this episode, about Eastman as a character, uh, like, like you were saying, Caroline, um, it is this backstory and, and also Ricky, this backstory about what happened to him and what he did, um, he, he watched Crate, Creighton die over 47 days from starvation. That means he gave him water. Yeah. I was thinking that too. So it's not just that he locked him in there and let him die. He locked him in there and gave him water so he would die slower. So he wouldn't die of dehydration, but would die of starvation. That, that detail of it, which again goes unsaid, but that, that aspect of it somehow makes it worse. Um, and, and it is, it is truly chilling. And so I think having that, like you had said earlier, Caroline, that does, does really make Eastman work for me a lot better than he would previously. Uh, also just, I was very excited when he showed up just to get another psychologist, right? Psychiatrist, psychologist. Um, one of the two. Yeah. One of the two. (laughs) When we have at the end, Morgan trying to do the same thing with the wolf, um, 
I wanted to like kind of tap him on the shoulder and be like, Morgan, you know that 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 Eastman, this was his. He had all of this experience of being yeah. able to gauge <laughs> people, engage character instantly. That like part of was his job. Uh, you aren't qualified for that. This <laughs> Eastman would not have put this wolf in his cage. Uh, yeah, that and that wolf was that actor did a great job of just being like one of the creepiest humans that I've ever seen on screen. Like he was very instantly, even as an untrained audience member, I felt like I was Eastman and I was like, yeah, this guy is no good. Like, don't there's no rehabilitating him, Morgan. He's that evil, you know, guy that's going to kill your family. So, yeah, I'm with you that that this was. Yeah, very creepy. Good performance. Yeah, that's Benedict Samuel as the actor. I do like how Eastman tells Morgan he's going to hold a baby again, which he does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love how when he knocks out Morgan, it's exactly the way Morgan knocks out the wolf in the previous episode. Or was it episode 602? 602, yeah. yeah. There's a couple of little callbacks throughout. Yeah. We get... um, I, I really saw, I don't know if, how much of this is intentional or just a fluke, but when Eastman has to hold himself back from killing Morgan for smashing the, yeah. the wall drawing, the performance from from uh, Carol Lynch, uh, John Carol Lynch, really reminded me of, of Morgan's expression when he holds himself back from killing those wolves. Uh, so I thought that was another, like, again, showing just the strength of how much he has to pull himself back from what he really wants to do in that moment. Um, I thought that was a really nice, either intentional, probably by the editors intentional. I don't know by the performers, but it, that, that callback was also very effective for me there. I didn't see this myself, but uh, I saw somebody else point out that in, in one of the early episodes last season, when we're kind of seeing Morgan in those little post credit scenes and we see him get to father Gabriel's church and he puts some thing, some things on the altar. And I know one of the things is those little like goo goo clusters that Eastman was offering him. And one of the things is that bullet that the couple gave him. So the show has kind of been threading in Morgan's journey or, you know, retconning it, whatever we want to call it. But there have been these cool callbacks that I think when you go back and like marathon, all of these episodes are going to be really powerful to sort of see them all pop up. Mm -hmm. I still think that the whole first half of this season is going to take place within like a day or two, minus the flashback, of course. Mm -hmm. Very possible. Because we, we've got a lot left to, to cover and we're coming up to episode five. So we're halfway through this half of the season. So it would right. be e- easy for that to happen. And when the episode ends, is it Rick's voice we hear? I heard someone else say that. I didn't pick that up, but it, it's possible, I guess. Here's the thing I'm, what I'm wondering about is, so he knocks out the wolf at the end of episode 602. And I'm assuming that now this is what, like six hours later? So I like how I'm just trying to figure out how long does it take Rick Grimes to get back to Alexandria and or Michonne and or anyone. And like, so how long has like the wolf been locked up and chained up while Morgan's telling him like the story of his life? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, there's people dying. There's people like that are dead. There's dead bodies outside. You just got raided and you're going to take time to tell the story to a man for like what, 45 minutes while people need your help. That's kind of like weird. Well, that was actually another ish thing I had an issue with watching this. The, that opening direct to camera is so effective. But then to come back at the end of the episode and be like, he was telling this story. He, like, I just figured he was talking to the audience uh, <laughs> or something, you know. Uh, but then to have it come back and know he's telling his entire life story to this wolf. He won't. He hasn't given any of this information to anybody else. But he's going to take time in the middle of a raid, in the middle of like the 
this horde of zombies that we know are he doesn't know but we know are coming to do are you are you are you shitting me right now <laughs> i got the sense okay, but- that the raid was over they had taken care of that there was like relative calm carl was taking the casserole out of the oven and morgan was off in the basement talking to this wolf <laughs> no exactly. i'm not giving them that <laughs> but you know what if, if, if you if you were to eliminate the sound of whoever it is saying let us in then that problem would be resolved <laughs> it's a simple matter of going into the editing room and removing like two seconds of dialogue from from sound that we hear in the background i bet that's not rick because they left rick on the note of like will rick die i'm guessing that voice is like the michonne crew that's coming back that seems more likely to me at least they should be closer yeah yeah but who knows? Um, I think I, I think I didn't need the, these little details that you know issues I'm having small small nitpicks basically with this episode. A lot of them tie into or connect to this idea of trying to make this episode feel more organic to the uh, action that's happening right then. So like at the very end, like what we get with him actually talking to the wolf and all this. I don't think I needed any of that. I think I could have been very fine if this just we just ended with morgan heading towards uh terminus i think i would have been been good i do like that it's the wolf that we saw morgan interact with like in the first time we kind of saw do you remember when morgan's like around the campfire and someone comes and attacks him and it's this wolf and and so it was a nice i mean again it's like very neat that these people just keep popping up in each other's lives but I guess thematically it's kind of cool that Morgan already had an interaction with this guy and that interaction. I don't know that now we get a second interaction that can kind of call back to that first one. I read this really great post online and I can't remember where it was posted, but anyways, we were talking about Eastman's speech and when he starts talking about the doors, like the revolving door and he keeps going into a door and he leads him back to that nightmarish situation. And that speech that Eastman gives Morgan is actually a perfect metaphor for Rick Grimes and his whole entire crew, how they go from one location to the next location, like as if they're going from one door into a, into a different room. And every time they get to a different location, they think everything's going to be fine. And it's this reoccurring nightmare because of course it's never fine. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just wondering, like, because I was talking to our our former co-host about this yesterday, Simon Howell about the walking dead and his big issue with the show still to this day is, and this is why he doesn't really watch it on a week to week basis. He's like, well, what's the point? He's like, there's no cure. We know eventually they're going to die and they're going to die a horrible death. So he's like, what's the point of me watching the show? Like the show could go on for 10 years and we're just going to watch a show for 10 years and watch a bunch of people die because there's no solution. That's why the, the at least semi-permanence of Alexandria was such a big deal to me when it was introduced last year. Um, last, So when we, when we got pre, in the previous season, this talk of, oh, Alexandria, this will be different. I was like, Writers, you can't you can't do this again because I don't care about Alexandria just by default because the last three places they've gone have been oh it'll totally be yeah so, so, so fine you know having Alexandria still be a an, a significant space here and I mean who knows what they're gonna do on the show apparently in the comics it's like a, a somewhat permanent fixture in the in the universe of that you know in the Walking Dead world I don't know what the characters are doing if they're still there or anything, but I hear it's a semi-permanent kind of thing. Like I, I kind of need Alexandria, whether or not Rick, like they could all get kicked out, but I kind of, I need the permanence of, no, there is something that sustains 
Uh, it doesn't need to turn into a paradise. Hopefully it doesn't just turn into yet another uh, dystopian kind of governor situation. But um, having, again, breaking that cycle of another location, the same things go wrong in a slightly different way, uh, was a really big element to the the, the show not, uh, or I guess moving forward in the last year, year season, season and a half. Um, and so... I loved that conversation. Mm -hmm. I loved that that monologue about the doors. That was a. I mean, I don't. Fortunately, I've never had to deal with PTSD, but it seems like it would be an accurate description. And I, I thought it was a beautiful way of putting that. Uh, and so, yeah, having this season, this last season, really move them out of that cycle and into a, a more permanent situation, um, at least for now, has been an important step for the show and for the characters. So. Uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting parallel. You know, it's funny because I remember we were talking about this, like, I think it was last season or, or the season prior. And we had this big, huge, like, 20-minute conversation about how we want Alexandria to be the type of place where they sort of, like, start over. Like, they start this new sort of civilization as opposed to moving from one place to the next place. And I remember I mentioned The Littlest Hobo because I was like, have you ever seen a show <laughs> where it never stays in the exact same place. Like it's just the character, the main character keeps moving from one location to the next location. And that was my prime example, which by the way is an amazing show. Um, um, also the X-Files. And the X-Files, right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think they're, I think, uh, I think they need to do it. I think they need to settle into Alexandria for at least two, three seasons. Yeah, I don't know if I feel super strongly about Alexandria, but I do like this question, and I think it kind of actually ties in, like, your question, Ricky, of, like, what is the point of watching the show if it's just so, like, you're saying everyone's just going to die? But I think it actually kind of ties into this episode and sort of Eastman's philosophy, and I think I'm probably the only person on the planet who would say this, but I actually find The Walking Dead to be, like, a strangely optimistic show, because... Like I said, we're not, if this show were focused on the wolves, I would consider this to be the most pessimistic show because it's just saying the world will fall apart, everyone will become terrible people, and everyone will die. But we're focused on a group of people who, they do terrible things, but for the most part, their goals are protect my friends and family, which I think are like the most noble goals you could have, certainly in some sort of disaster situation. It's not just all these people who are like fend for themselves. Like for the most part, everyone's priority is to protect someone else or to do what's best for the group. And, you know, there are situations in real life. I know The Walking Dead is mostly like a comic book heightened ridiculous world. Um, but there are situations, you know, there are genocides, there are wars, there are times where people are in terrible, horrible, hopeless situations. And those people still manage to find meaning in their lives. And I feel like at its best, The Walking Dead is sort of like, well, how do you find meaning in a hopeless, meaningless situation? And I think that Eastman's philosophy is really interesting, this whole um aikido philosophy that he has which i think is really cool that he he is finding meaning by not killing people like not giving in to the base instincts that a lot of people do when your sort of society crumbles around you and i think that this episode does a really good job of making a compelling argument for nonviolence in a way that the show hasn't done before because you mentioned tyrese earlier ricky and i think tyrese like his arc, it was not that he chose nonviolence, it was that he stopped being able to kill. Like, that was a flaw. Whereas Morgan is more than capable of killing, but this is like a strength of his that he's trying to find another way. And it doesn't mean that he's not still a badass, and it doesn't mean that he can't like take a million people down with that stick. Uh, he actually has like really impressive fighting skills. So to, to 
make his nonviolence a choice and his way of dealing with this world. And, you know, the show, like we mentioned before, like does tend to be pretty pessimistic in the sense of like, every time you show mercy, it sort of comebacks, comes back to bite you. So it might end up going that way in the long run. But for now, I think it's cool to have Morgan's philosophy sort of juxtaposed with his skill set all happening within the world. So yeah, I, for some reason, I'm, I'm still sort of just on board with The Walking Dead as as mm. somewhat optimistic. There's some silver lining there. No, I totally agree. We were actually talking about this on Twitter. Like, what is more optimistic, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and or The Walking Dead? You know, and, and it totally is an optimistic show. But, you know, when you look at a character like Tyrese, Morgan, and Eastman, Tyrese was still able to kill if he needed to kill. If he needed to kill to defend, for example, Judith. He's going to have mm-hmm. to kill someone to defend the baby because that is the world they live in. And the problem with Tyrese is he just wasn't smart enough. Like, he just wasn't smart about how he went about not killing the people that he should have killed. Like, I think I think what's going to happen is we're going to eventually see some type of prison. Like, an actual prison, not like them living in prison, but they maybe will start taking in characters and putting them behind bars in jail before they, I don't know, let them be part of the community and or something. Um, because Morgan... Morgan has the skills, like you said, like he's clearly one of the most skilled fighters, but he still does these little things. Like he makes these little decisions. Like he, he lets five or four wolves go in the previous episode. And they are the wolves that are responsible for putting Rick Grimes in a situation where he's stuck in an RV with like a thousand zombies surrounding him. You know what I mean? Like, like we need a character who has the philosophy of Morgan, but, is also realistic about the situation and and he's thinking about the bigger picture not just his own personal beliefs but the well-being of everyone that surrounds him including that baby who i still think to this day has the cure to the zombie apocalypse (laughs) (laughs) another uh difference i would say between tyrese and morgan at least so far is that morgan uh sorry tyrese doesn't want uh like can't kill or won't kill but he doesn't really try to get other people to not do that yeah, he, he he's like, I can't you you're going to go kill people. OK, whatever. You're going to go hunt down the terminus people, whatever. That's fine. I just can't do that. Whereas Morgan is are constantly arguing for this philosophy and combating uh, Rick on this 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 level and like with Carol and, and all the, like actively trying to proselytize for this um, philosophy he's uh, picked up from Eastman um, and, and for changing the way that the survivors think about life and and the sanctity of it as a whole. Uh, so, so I think that's also a difference. That also means that at sometimes Morgan can be more annoying when yeah. you say <laughs> don't kill the people who are you know just hacked your friend to death, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but it does that does help distinguish the two for me just a little bit. Yeah, I think Tyrese's not being able to kill, it's like a sign that he's broken, whereas Morgan deciding not to kill is a sign that he's fixed. And when Morgan was broken, he just went on a killing spree. So like their arcs are almost reversed a little bit. And I think that the show, I mean, I think if the show was saying that Morgan, the show isn't trying to say that Morgan's right necessarily, which I think is why it doesn't annoy me, even though it is annoying that he keeps letting these people go and then they cause more trouble. But I think the show is sort of saying just straight up killing people is bad. Just straight up not killing people is bad. Probably what Rick is doing is bad. Like this is a no win situation in which there are flaws to every point of view, but it's interesting to see the characters wrestle with them anyway. And like, I think the fact that Morgan lets those wolves go 
And then not only do they end up hurting Rick, but Rick ends up killing them all anyway. It's like a definite sign that in some way Morgan is just passing the buck. Like he's like, well, I won't kill them. So I'll just let Rick kill them. Um, So yeah, I think that there's a lot of like flaws in Morgan, but to me, they're interesting, cool character flaws. And I'm excited to see this play out. And I hope that the show doesn't go too nihilistic with it and just say that there's never, you know, you need to kill everyone, Um, Mm -hmm. but we'll have to see. Well, do we have any final thoughts on this episode or uh, the season, uh, Ricky? We got to pick up with Rick, right? I, I do we? I guess. It yeah. look. I mean, do you guys usually talk about the previews on the show? No, well, we I, don't. I okay. actually haven't seen the um, the next week on, so um, we just kind of like guess and speculate. Yeah. I think. <laughs> I think. I think you're right, Kate. I think we're gonna we're gonna start with Rick Grimes because he's the main character of the series and he wasn't in this episode. Um, Glenn, I, I see, I want to believe Glenn's dead, but I, uh, he's not, but I, I bet you we're going to see Glenn come back at the end of the season. The end so, of the season or the end of the half season, the, the end of the half season. So next week we'll see Carl doing some cooking with Carol. They'll <laughs> clean up some dead bodies. Um, Morgan will have some tea with the wolf. And uh, I don't expect big things next week. <laughs> I I pretty much need to see Baby Judith next week. Oh, and by the way, I watched Talking Dead this past week um, to see what the fuss was about and everything. What the baby was and... on? No, oh. but <laughs> the person who was on, and I was tweeting about this uh, nonstop, but the person who was on is Yvette Nicole Brown, who I love because this is a person who takes her game seriously the way I do on Hollywood Game Night. Uh, so I've enjoyed her for quite a while, but one of the things she mentioned that made me go like, Yes, you're you're a national treasure, Miss Yvette Nicole Brown or Ms. Yvette Nicole Brown. Is she mentioned? Hey, does does Enid have the baby? Because we didn't see the baby. We didn't see Judith after you know after she left. So we don't even know if Baby Judith is still in that house. So I need to see Baby Judith because I was already pondering no, that. And no, there's no yeah. way. You know, come on, she's not going to take the baby away from Carl. That wolf did have baby food in his pocket. We don't know what the wolves are, are like their thing is. Clearly, they're like obsessed with killing everybody, but we don't know what their si- situation is. But, but didn't the episode end where Carl takes the food out of the oven and he checks on baby no. Judith with the baby monitor? No. No. It, he took the he took the casserole out. Right. But we didn't see he he had a monitor thing, I think. But we didn't see he did not check on Judith. Hmm. We definitely didn't see Judith. Interesting. That's what. So I, I probably it's nothing, but when I saw that I wasn't the only person who was pondering that, I was like, <laughs> gotta mention it. Yeah, but you know the fact that they had baby food. You're right. That's oh, questionable. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay. What do you What do you think, Caroline? Any other thoughts on this episode or on the season? Yeah. Well, I will say that I would love for the season to spend some more. The characters who I think have been underserved this season, the character I think has been underserved is Daryl. And then the character who I think has been underserved by this entire show since day one is Maggie. So I would love for both of them to be more of a focus now that we're, since we are kind of doing this thing where we're checking in on everybody in the same day, they're the two people I would love to hear more from. And then for this episode specifically, maybe had the funniest line in Walking Dead history where Eastman said, what's your name? And Morgan said, kill me. He said, that's a dumb name. You should change it. It's very dangerous. <laughs> I am not sure I've ever laughed harder at anything on The Walking Dead. So that I thought was great. Like the little moments of humor in this episode, which were admittedly like few and far between, but they were so well chosen. And um, it was nice to see Eastman. I don't know. He's so chill and he has these little sort of 
uh, funny bits, very understated funny bits, and I really enjoyed this. Yeah, and him him being a, a chocoholic too. Yeah, such a nice little little thing. The zombie apocalypse doesn't make you not like chocolate. I mean, that's a nice nice detail. Uh, the last thing I'll mention about this episode is we we mentioned the score, and especially Ricky, you're almost always a big fan of the score on the show. But there were two moments that specifically stood out to me in the scoring this week that I wanted to mention. One was the opening, which had uh, that directed camera with Lenny James such intensity. But part of a big part of that of why that scene is able to sustain that intensity and, and that performance and not let, you know, really bring it all together is the scoring, which is a cluster of pitches sustained throughout. They do not change. And when you're listening to music, almost always you're listening for change. That's what a melody is notes changing. So when it doesn't change that you, you just get more and more tense. Like when you're waiting for the something to cut away or you're waiting for the camera to move or that kind of a thing. So when you're subconsciously, you're waiting for the pitches to change. And when they don't, it helps build the tension. So that was very effective. And the other moment that was kind of like that, we had the Morgan finds the um, like idyllic uh, clearing in the middle of the forest, whatever, with the fuzzy lighting and everything. Yeah. It was a bit, very was a bit much. Oh, yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I liked the scoring there because it was, again, a lot of sustained pitches um, and a lot of like kept going back to a perfect fifth which is a very open interval. The, the the sound waves, like the squiggles, you know, like sync up more. So it it creates a very still kind of feeling. Um, and it kept going back and forth between the sixth and fifth and fourth. And uh, But that, that those open intervals, those sustained pitches, they're very, they evoke a feeling of like a church of, uh, you know, Gregorian chant or, um, um, again, the open perfect intervals of, uh, you know, early Western classical musical tradition going back to the church so that that scoring choice there was also very effective for me even if the 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 area was a little too pretty and the light was a little too diffused for me i did really like that that scoring moment so i wanted to to mention those specifically um and thank you all for bearing with me on that (laughs) no it's cool to hear i know so little about music but i like hearing people sort of talk about all the things that i'm subconsciously experiencing but i'm not aware that i'm experiencing (laughs) Well, um, unless you guys have anything more, I think I think it's time to wrap it up this week. Caroline, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Yeah, so you can uh, search my stuff on the AV Club, or you can just find me on Twitter. I'm at Caroline Sita. Uh, let me know if you think Walking Dead is optimistic or if I am totally off the mark there. <laughs> and, and Ricky, where can we find you? On Twitter, Pop Optic, over, of course, on our website, www.popoptic.com. That's P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q.com. And uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Tumblr. And you can find me at The Televerse on Twitter. Love talking TV with, with everybody, so drop me a line there. You can find me uh, at Pop Optic, of course. You can find me on The Televerse, my weekly TV podcast over at Pop Optic. And you can also find me... Uh, in, you can find me, I guess, just... I was going to try to come with a good descriptor, but I'm just going to go with reviewing uh heroes reborn at the av club (laughs) right now which is it's a thing it's a thing that's happening uh so i have thoughts you can find that over there but for the most part just hit me up on twitter um and again it's always a pleasure talking walking dead with you guys Uh, next week we'll be back uh to talk about season six episode five now written by Corey reed and directed by avi ubayan i'm gonna guess it's something like that i apologize sir or uh madam i think sir if i got your name wrong um anyways (laughs) until then thank you once more caroline 
And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with the next episode of the Pop Optic Walking Dead podcast.